Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Back from sabbatical, but unfortunately in New Jersey, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us, as always, from Nashville, Tennessee, it's our favorite coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, man? I don't know, how to, I don't know what to do with all this free time now that the season's over. We've uh, inventoried all the equipment, and uh, now I'm just kind of chilling. Yeah, man. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can be full time baby daddy. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I guess that's a good thing for me, right? And I can. Uh, I can devote more time to bringing the knowledge to the Legal Motion Football Podcast. So right. I'm excited. Let's get oh. the, let's get an action packed show on the road. All right. Well, I, I, we're all excited to be back together. But the third man in our three amigos here in the second city is a man who is strangely passionate about Werner's ginger ale. It's our vlogger, <laughs> Josh Cook. Hey, when you're from the Midwest, you gotta got to go with Werner's. Can't have any of that Canadian dry. Come on. I've never even seen that stuff before I moved to, moved to Wisconsin. So It's all about Schweppes, you rookies. Uh, now you're, you're mistaken. Verner's has a very strong bite to it. It's really good. Uh, uh, you know, you, you drank a lot of that stuff in college and afterwards. And it's not that bad, actually. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna roll with uh, with, with Canada Dry because that's the stuff I was raised on. But uh, I, I got nothing against Verner's. So Unbelievable. maybe we can have the Illegal Motion Ginger Ale podcast sometime in the off season. But for <laughs> now, maybe maybe Verner's will sponsor us. Oh yeah. That? Hey, Josh, listen. work on that. That's your project. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to the good people of Michigan, track yes. down the Verner's Gendrail Corporation. And I, I promise not to call the University of Michigan meat chicken anymore if, uh-huh. if they sponsor us. But I digress. Uh, tonight on the show, our Week 11 preview, we're going to be getting uh, to the big game in the American Conference a little bit later on between Ashley Crofts, Memphis Tigers, and the Cougars of Houston University, as well as some of the other big games of the weekend. But first, as always, it's time for our quick slants. So, Josh, you're out in formation first. Well, I just want to touch on the uh, the matching games we had. Um, most notably last night, Northern Illinois took care of uh, a pesky Buffalo team on the road and uh, Bowling Green took care of Western Michigan. Western Michigan was 5-0 and in the MAC, so that was uh, a difficult road win, so well done by the Falcons. It uh, looks like these two are headed on a crash course for each other in Detroit, which will be exciting. Uh, I kind of highlighted Northern Illinois' max success last week after they upset Toledo. So tonight I'm going to look at the Falcons. Uh, This is a team that is the perennial Eastern power, and they are led by Matt Johnson, who has 3,955 yards on the season, 36 touchdowns, and four interceptions. So his stats are are pretty good. I think you would live with those if you are a – past first offense, to say the least. Uh, He is unfortunately not on the Johnny Unitas watch list. That goes to the top senior quarterback, which is really a shame because Matt Johnson missed all of last year with an injury. Uh, uh, Would have been nice to see Unitas give him a look. 
He is on listed as a semifinalist for the debut O'Brien. There's some huge names on that list because it's not limited to seniors. He's going to have to go up against, uh, you know, Boykin Cook, who are seniors, Dowdy, uh, Luke Falk, Jared Goff, you know, you name it, Paxton Lynch. All those guys are on the watch list. So he probably won't be able to uh, pull down any of those big national awards, which is a shame because he's driving this Falcon team. And I have them ranked. And I have a feeling that if the bottom of the polls does something goofy this week, the real polls will also have the Falcons in. Nice eight and two season so far for Bowling Green. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm 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 just surprised as you are that the United uh, the, the United Committee really hasn't even added them to the list. A lot of uh, you know, even if you're not on the preseason watch for some of these awards, they'll throw you in at midseason. He certainly, you know, at, at the midpoint of the season, you know, just a couple weeks ago, was you know leading the country in passing. Still is right now. Uh, that's a that that that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty big surprise. So I. I I mean, it's disappointing. There's no other way to put it. This is a kid who got hurt the first game of last year. Would have been nice to uh, to have him get recognized for his contributions to his school. That's yeah. always that's always a nice thing to do. All right, Coach. Well, what you got for your first slam? Well, it's it's more of like a uh, what what you guys would call a fast screen. It's basically just take two steps, like I'm like I'm firing off the ball, turn around, catch the ball and get about four yards and uh, set up second and six here. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, we, we talk about coaching searches and things like that, uh, some some jobs that are already open. Uh, Miami, the Miami Hurricanes job is is one of those that's open, and there's a lot of re- reports swirling around. It started out with uh, with my very own Rivals.com, but I, saw, I, I Google searched it, saw CBS Sports has re- reported as well. Mario Cristobal, former Canes <laughs> offensive lineman, is the lead candidate at Miami. And uh, when I mentioned this before recording, uh, I got quite a reaction out of Josh, so I figured I'd bring it up for my quick slant to get you guys I'm still laughing. Reaction. I'm still uh, laughing. Maybe he will recruit well. Uh, I don't know. Josh, uh, he, what was his record? Four and 20 at FIU? <laughs> I, I was kidding when I said I texted you and said, or I texted Matt, I think, or no, I emailed everyone. Nice. Yeah. I don't remember technology. Now I te- I emailed that he was four and eighty. He's actually let's give him some credit. He's twenty seven and forty seven, and he yeah. did win teams under five hundred. Nothing like n- nothing says uh, bringing the bringing the swagger back to the U. Like twenty games under five hundred, the uh, Sun Belt. He won a little Caesar's Pizza Bowl. Came up a little short in a Beef O'Brady's Bowl. Regrettable. Well, he's uh, he's got the food bowls covered. Maybe he can get into a fruit bowl while he's at Miami. See what we, I did there? Oh, you know, you know what's funny is for a few years at FIU to honor, um, I think Joe Paterno. Though. I think I remember reading that he honored Joe Paterno by wearing a suit and tie on the sidelines. How? How great would it be if Miami hired him and he brought back a suit and tie after they just fire Al Golden, who wore a suit and tie? I would, yeah. I would definitely appreciate that. I was surprised that Cristobal is only 45 years old. Um, yeah, I, he, I he, he played on the late 80s teams. I, I think he played on those Dennis Erickson teams. Uh, I, I, I thought he played on, on some of those Jim Johnson teams, but I must have been mistaken. It might have overlapped, but I think he was no, I mean, late he was born 80s. in 1970, so, I mean, that, may, that definitely makes him on those Dennis Erickson teams. I, I mean, 
in fairness, he's the Alabama O-line coach, and obviously Alabama has a really good offensive line. But, but as Matt said, 20 games under 500 in his only head coaching job, that leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, they better hope if they make this hire that they get an unbelievably veteran staff that can really help his transition because – what he's shown so far, I don't think he is up to the job. No, no I, mean, I, I, don't, local, I don't think so either. But yeah, you know, he's a local guy. But you know, it's still. Um, I, I, I mean, hi, hire Michael Irvin then. I mean, <laughs> if all that—that's their criteria. No, you got to go for Warren Sapp at least. Come on, man. <laughs> Warren well, Sapp would be able to recruit. But anyway, that was my. Do they make? Do they make headsets big enough for Warren Sapp's head? He might have to go Todd Graham Bluetooth route. No, man. Are you kidding me? Haven't you seen Mark Mangino? <laughs> I've seen Mark Mangino eat his headphones. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, Motorola, Motorola uh, was kept in business by Mangino because, uh, I guess he would get ice cream on him from from his uh, from his ice cream break between quarters, and then he would and then he would smell it all game long, and he couldn't resist. And next thing you know, he's He's chowing down on his uh, headsets. Yeah, but you forgot he had some sprinkles in his pocket, pocket that he would pour on them first. So, oh, yeah, obviously. obviously. It goes up. All right. Well, uh, we're going to move Don't from we're, we're going to move from uh, one uh, we're going to move from pretty much to the opposite end of the country from Miami up to the Pacific Northwest. I wanted to take a look at uh, the Oregon Stanford rivalry because this is Sort of the first. You know, this is a the first year since two thousand five that my, that Oregon comes into this game unranked, and you know I, I'm I'm weirdly interested in this game this week because it's not particularly compelling this year. Stanford's favored by ten at home on the farm, and I think they're going to win by twenty five because let's face it, Oregon can't stop anyone. But I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this rivalry and uh, sort of see what's up see what's up with it. Stanford Stanford holds the upper hand um, historically. Uh, over the Ducks, 46-31-1. and one. But that's mostly because of them dominating the 1920s, 70s, 80s, and 90s by an aggregate of 26-8 to eight in those years. Especially the 20s. Uh, they went 8-0 and oh against Oregon in the 20s and absolutely owned them. But um, since 2007, which was the first year of the Harbaugh era, and we're still, you know, David Shaw being a, a Harbaugh offspring, if you will, we're still sort of in the, the Harbaugh or the, uh, the Harbaugh era, at least part of the Harbaugh tree. Oregon still holds a 5-3 to three advantage. Um, and, you know, I just I, I think that this is – these will obviously be the top two teams in the Pac-12 North for the past, uh, you know, decade or so. And, I mean, Pac-12 North has only been in existence for three years, but even before that, you know, uh, from the – in that sort of a region of the Pac-12, those have been the, the two powerhouses. I think it's going to be interesting to see if Washington, under Chris Peterson, can um, can pop up and make that a, a three-way uh, division uh, to, to talk about in the future. But as for now, it's still, you know, it's, it's Stanford's uh, division this year. But um, it'll be interesting to see if Oregon can um, hold them under, uh, hold them, hold them to you know less than forty-five points, which seems to be what they give up to every 
team this year. But I still think Stanford should be able to dispatch with the floundering Ducks this weekend. But I'm expecting another 300-plus total yard day out of Christian McCaffrey, who should vault himself right back into the front as front runner for the Heisman Trophy if he isn't there already. All right, Josh, what's your uh, what, what you got uh, your second slant for us? Oh, I'm just stunned you brought up stats from the Warren Harding administration era. That was – you got in the wayback machine for that stuff. That was, that was a deep route. Well, I, I'm more, um, you know I'm more of a Calvin Coolidge guy. Got to <laughs> got, got rep Vermont, my home state, but, you know. Um, yeah, my second slant is just uh, since we're talking about coaches or, or the coach was um, – one of the jobs came off the board, obviously, Tracy Clays. They removed the interim tag, and I think this was a good call. It, it was a difficult decision, but the right decision for Minnesota. Uh, first of all, it keeps some continuity. You know Jerry Kill will be a part of the program, whether it's an unofficial or official advisory way. I'm sure he and Clays will be in communication a lot. Um, they've had a 21-year career together. I know Tracy has said that he wants to take the program his own way, but it's hard to give up two decades of friendship and collaboration. Uh, the other reason why it made sense is uh, I think this probably got forgotten by most people nationally, but Minnesota's without an athletic director. Uh, in the summer, their AD was uh, forced to resign uh, with some uh, sexual harassment allegations. So it, it would have been impossible to get an AD because they're still operating with an interim staff right now. So it would have been impossible to get an AD, hire a firm to do a coaching search, order the coaching search yourself, find your candidates, interview your candidates, and then hire someone without destroying this recruiting class. The, the timeline really said they had to, to give Tracy the job. So I wish him luck. He's had a great rise coming from high school to Saginaw Valley to Emporia State to Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois, and now Minnesota, all with Jerry Kill. I just wish him luck starting the following week. Hopefully my Hawkeyes can beat Minnesota, but uh, good for Clay's and the right decision by the Gophers. All right. Well, yeah, I, I, I got to say, just just a quick aside, Coach, before you uh, hop into talking about um, as the UGA turns, uh, I was actually kind of sh- – I mean, now that you've explained it, Josh, I think it makes a little bit more sense. But at first I was kind of shocked because between that boneheaded decision against Michigan and just – I don't know, he's never seemed like a guy who is a – would be would be sort of the head of a program, the face of a program to me. But, um, you know, that's – I mean, I think that's a different story for a different time. But I mean, the, the, the biggest asset, honestly, that he brings is continuity and stability because 2016 would have been out the window if, the, if they had waited until the AD situation got figured out. I know previous times like this hasn't worked out. They did something very similar with Tim Brewster. He kind of came on. He didn't seem like he – uh, could handle a, a major conference program. But, uh, I mean, Clay's learned from Jerry Kill, so he might not look the part. And, yeah, his uh, end of coaching decisions were a little herky-jerky, but he got them in a position to even have late-game decision-making issues. I mean, let's not true. forget that, let's not forget that. He, he coached really well for 58 previous minutes, so – 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about this. I mean, that's the first big decision he's ever made. That's the first situation he's ever been completely in charge of. So, I mean, yeah, we we can look at it and say, yeah, that's bonehead. He should have done this. He should have done that. And, and yes, he really should have. But, you know, as his first time, you know, as long as he doesn't – make a habit of that i think it's something that'll just give him valuable experience and he probably i'm sure he got on the phone with jerry kill right after that happened and said hey look you know this happened what do i do next time to, to make sure that we don't waste 15 seconds off the clock and, and and screw ourselves out of a win i'm sure he got some good advice and i'm sure he'll get a lot of good advice from jerry kill but you know for minnesota i i guess good for them for making a quick decisive decision they know who they wanted they didn't mess around and and trying to get him or mess around with him and, and try to kind of keep him out of the market. So, uh, you know, now that he's the full-time guy, now that he's the permanent guy, we'll see what he's got, you know, and, and this weekend will be a, a good determining factor of that. And, uh, you know, I, I think the players will rally around him. So, you know, I, I like it, you know, it, it's not, the, it's not the big splash that everybody wanted, but you know, when you're Minnesota, you know, you got to do things to hang on to a, what's already a, a pretty good recruiting class. So, uh, good for them. And, uh, you know, best of luck next week, of course. You know, this week, no. But, you know, Definitely. next week. And, Definitely. And, yeah. Well, Coach, uh, well, uh, what do you got for the state of Georgia football? Well, the, as the UGA turns, um, now everything's uh, – I, I did a episode two uh, with, with Josh back on uh, Monday. So, um, here's episode three. Uh, looks like everything's fine. On uh, 680 The Fan – in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the, the talk and speculation, Chip Towers of the AJC now come, came on and speculated that Pruitt and Rick would be the ones to stay on board and, and Brian Schottenheimer would be the one to leave. <laughs> so, um, you know, twists and turns everywhere. But, uh, you know, I want to talk about the, the, the game, the, the Georgia-Auburn game. It's, the, it's known as the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Rivalry, and although it's not important for standings purposes, because Georgia's six and three, four and three in conference, Auburn's five and four, with a two and four conference record. Uh, this game is important for both sides because this, the all-time series is tied at fifty-five, fifty-five, and eight. All right, this is their hundred and nineteenth meeting uh, in this rivalry, so the uh, the series is deadlocked, and uh, and Georgia is nine and five. Over the last, over the last what, fourteen seasons, fifteen seasons, fourteen seasons, yeah, fourteen seasons uh, since Rick has taken over, he's nine and five against Auburn. Um, you know, two of those were last last minute touchdowns, uh, so he really could be eleven and three all time against Auburn. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, a couple of things: uh, Georgia continues to play musical quarterbacks. Uh, <laughs> Will be interesting. Interesting to see what they do there. Uh, Jake Gaines is going to lead the defense. He's a transfer from the defunct UAB program. He leads the team with 63 tackles, so a great pickup there. Uh, Sony Michelle picking up uh, picking up the slack for Nick Chubb. He's rushed for a career high 165 yards a week ago and scored a touchdown uh, to help lift the Bulldogs over Kentucky um, after a shaky start. Uh, this is. You know, a lot of people will say it's not a defining game for Mark Rick, but but it kind of is. He loses this one, and he loses the one in two weeks to Georgia Tech, and there's no more speculation. He's probably out, uh, would be my guess. Uh, but then, you know, as the Ugga turns, you never know what's going to happen. There could be a lot of plot twist. Uh, for Auburn, we talked about Jeremy Johnson early in the year and the stinkers that he put up. 
Well, he's back in the mix. Sean White got injured last week, injured his knee um, against in the upset victory over Texas A&M. So Jeremy Johnson will reclaim the starting quarterback job for Auburn. Uh, Javon Robinson, they're going to lean heavily on him in the run game, and the defense is going to keep up its positive momentum. Uh, safety Trey Matthews uh, didn't play last week, was saving himself for this game. He is a Georgia – I'll say a Georgia transfer, but he's kind of a cast-off. He got, he got ran out and – and or transferred on his own. One of many guys who got run out of Georgia in the last couple of years off that defense, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And if you remember two years ago when, when he was at Georgia, if you remember the uh, the Hail Mary, uh, the tip ball that Ricardo Ricardo Lewis caught uh, when J- Josh Harvey Clemens and Trey, Trey Matthews went up together and collided in midair and the ball popped up right into Ricardo Lewis's hand. It was fourth and 22. All they had to do was – Knock it down, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was Trey well, Matthews. Do you, do you think that coaches uh, are the are the Bulldogs going to be able to uh, uh, to beat the Tigers this weekend? I think so. I mean, I, I think you know that they have enough weapons offensively to do it. I think Sony Michelle and and the Wild Dog formation is going to uh, is going to be nasty. It's something they developed over the course of the season. They ran I a little they bit. They call it the Rabbit Dog formation. Yeah, that'd be a good name for it. Uh, Terry Godwin, uh, he's a true freshman, uh, starting to come on a little bit. Light bulb starting to come on. He's starting to make more plays each and every week. Defenses, defenses came ready to play uh, last few weeks since the bye week. So uh, I think defensively, we'll you know they'll give they'll cause fits to uh, Jeremy Johnson. Uh, offensively, it'll be tough sledding. Auburn's playing a lot better defensively, but you know I think I think they'll win a tough fought game. Uh, just because they have more talent and they're simply just better than Auburn. Yeah, well, I'll be uh, excited for that. I did not realize that the uh, that the rivalry was tied up at fifty five apiece. Well, oh, yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my uh, final quick slant and try to break it for the house, and I'm gonna talk Mountain West football. Um, that's right. Fighting boat. Three big games this weekend in the Mountain West. Uh, they're going to go a long way to deciding both the Mountain and the West division titles. Now, I'm not a big fan of the two division names, as there's a West without an East, but so it goes. Anyhow, um, well, the, the first so game it should be Mountain and should it be Mountain and Valley then? Mountain and Prairie Plains. I don't know. Um, <laughs> mountain I, I, ain't no mountain high enough. Whatever. Either way, it's better than Legends and Leaders. Um, yeah. wow. um, the day is going to kick off in the conference uh, with the Aggies of Utah State um, heading to Colorado Springs to take on the air to take on Air Force for the noon local kick at Falcon Stadium. Utah State is uh, surprisingly a road favorite even in this game, even though they're coming off a loss at New Mexico last week and are playing an Air Force team that has won their last three games. I'm uh, expecting a really big game from uh, Falcon running back Jacoby Owens. Um, he's rushed for 137 yards in each of his last two conference games with three total touchdowns in those. And I see the Falcons um, 
you know, uh, even though they're home dogs, I see them winning outright 24-17. Um, second game I want to get to uh, pits the Spartans of San Jose State, who traveled to Reno to take on the Wolfpack. Um, both of these teams are 3-2 and two in conference and within striking distance of West Division leader San Diego State, who currently reside at 5-0 and oh in, the, uh, in the conference. On paper, these two teams are about as even a matchup as you can get. Um, uh, Nevada is 66 uh, in scoring defense, and San Jose State is 63rd. Um, San Jose State is 86th in scoring offense, and Nevada is 88th in scoring offense. So I'm expecting a real, real close one at McKay Stadium Saturday afternoon. Finally, the Lobos um, of New Mexico are heading to the Smurf turf on, uh, on, on Saturday night where they will be greeted by a Broncos squad that outside of a, a Friday night loss at Utah State has been absolutely killing teams in the conference this year. New Mexico has been up and down of late, alternating wins and losses in their last five games. They eked out a, um, a win over the aforementioned Aggies last week, 14-13, to and now sit at 3-2 and in the conference. But the Broncos should be too much much for them this weekend and I don't think they have enough firepower to keep up with uh, Brian Harson's squad and uh, this one might get a little bit ugly especially on that blue turf and I think that uh, I think that Boise State is going to run away with this one I see them winning about 45 to 20 so going to be a big weekend in the Mountain West and um, that's my bad you guys what, sorry man what I was you I really was, don't uh, like the Mountain West, do you, Josh? No, I was uh, I was turning on my uh, watch ESPN app on my phone because Virginia Tech has uh, got a crucial third and goal here. Uh, just to do a little live update, Virginia Tech at Georgia Tech right now mm-hmm. as we record. They're already down 14-0. Uh, Virginia Tech, if they don't win this game, I don't think they're making a bowl game because I don't see them beating – North Carolina next week, uh, and then they have Virginia. So for uh, in Beamer's last season, oh, big ball. Tech just scored. So there we go. Virginia Tech cut it to uh, a seven point lead. Sorry about that. Oh, I do. I do like. I do like the Mountain West. I just uh, I had my ringtone off, but when I turned the app on, it has a different volume setting for media. Who knew? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much how all smartphones are. Unfortunately, that happens to me all the time. Yeah. Well, especially it's, it's even more embarrassing when I'm supposed to be teaching and I turn on watch ESPN. So, <laughs> um, so and that you know, um, it's time for us to get to our, our deep roots, um, and, and the big game for the weekend. And uh, the first one I want to talk about is the big game in the American Conference. That's a shock. <laughs> yeah, well, what else do you expect out of me? Hey, listen, at least I'm not hogging it all for myself in a quick slant. Um, well, we've got the number 21 uh, Memphis Tigers heading to Houston, Texas. Thank you, Tony Kornheiser, um, uh, where they will play the Cougs, who are number 24, uh, but still undefeated, 9-0 and uh, overall, 5-0 and in the conference. Um, Josh, this is a battle of very two different uh, styles of quarterbacks between Paxton Lynch and uh, Greg Ward Jr., isn't it? Very, very different. But believe it or not, in what is shaping up to be a explosive offensive affair, I think there's a unit people are forgetting about, and it's really easy to look at 
the quarterback play, but I'm going to go with the Houston defense. I don't think people realize they're in the top 25. I did not realize that. And I love the American conference. Yeah. They're allowing just 18.7 points per game. And, uh, you know, they haven't, they haven't played the easiest schedule. I know sometimes the, uh, these group of five conferences might have really a bunch of cupcakes, but, you know, they played at Louisville. That's all right. They, they played Vanderbilt. That's an SEC team. That's all right. Uh, the common opponent with Memphis is Cincinnati. Uh, both teams won, and both teams gave up a ton of yards to, to Gunnar Keel. And I know Memphis, I think that was the game where their quarterback got hurt and the backup came in and had a million yards also. Um, but Houston actually corralled Tupperville's club a little better. Um, then you look at another common opponent, Tulsa. Houston gave up 24 points. Memphis gave up 42. Uh, I think it's going to come down to the Cougars stopping Paxton Lynch. And as good as Memphis is and as good as Memphis has looked, I think the Houston Cougars win this game thanks to a surprisingly uh, salty defense. Coach? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's it's going to come down to exactly what Josh just said. I think, you know, Houston's going to get after him. Uh, I think Houston's just better defensively. They're better offensively. I, I just think they have, you know, more in the tank than what Memphis does. And and that's not that's not an indictment on Memphis. I just think that's, you know, kind of what Houston's been all about this year. I think that, you know, they've been tested. You know, they want a, they want a gritty one against Cincinnati, a, a game that they probably should have blown out the Bearcats, but uh, they ended up being in a tough battle with them. Uh, Memphis's tough battle ended up with uh, a loss to Navy and a loss – a big loss, um, you know, and, and and also Houston, you know, they just, you know, they just get it done. They're ranked seventh nationally in rushing yardage. Uh, their defense allows only 99 yards. That's eighth nationally um, at 18.7 points. That's 22nd nationally and, and has forced at FBS leading 25 turnovers. And I think that's going to be the key right there. I think that's your key stat, 25 turnovers. I think you're absolutely right, Coach, because Memphis never turns over the ball. I mean, Paxton Lynch, he never throws picks. No, and, and something about this Houston defense, I mean, they just – they just find ways to, to create opportunities for their offense and give their offense good field position um, or just put points up themselves. So, uh, you know, that, that FBS leading 25 turnovers, we'll see if that can carry over. Um, obviously, special teams is going to be a huge key. But, you know, for Memphis, you know, if, if they're going to win, I, I think they obviously they need to take care of the ball. Uh, they need to – you know, they need to pick their poison. They need, they need to find a couple of hat hangers, as I call them, and, and, and just really utilize it. I think they need uh, to get things going in the pass game, you know, because they're not going to be able to rush for much. You know, Houston's rushing defense is uh, is pretty stellar. So uh, they're going to have to create ways to get the ball down the field. And they're just going to have to hopefully play some good defense. Yeah, I'm curious to see how Houston decides to attack the Memphis defense because, I mean, Greg Ward Jr. has been, you know, a, you know one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the country this year. and I'm, I, think I think they'll keep it, keep taking advantage of that, to be honest. Yeah, I think they're going to try to pound it on the ground against Memphis because um, I think Memphis's, uh, you know, Memphis's uh, you know, secondary actually really isn't that bad. They, they held up real well, you know, pretty well against Ole Miss for the most part on, uh, you know, keeping Laquan Treadwell down. But I, I, I'm not sure how well they're going to hold up against 
the run. And especially, Houston can really get outside fast. And I'm not sure if Memphis's linebackers have the range to really work sideline to sideline um, and stop, um, you know, those just, you know, those quick options that Houston loves to run um, with Ward and they're really and uh, Farrow, their running back. So um, this yeah. is, um, you know, especially with my Badgers not playing this weekend, this might be my favorite game uh, of the weekend to, to be watching. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye out on that. Well, our second game, uh, we're going to move from uh, my adopted conference to Josh's uh, childhood team. And actually, talking to the aforementioned Tracy Clays, uh, his Minnesota Golden Gophers traveling to Kinnick on Saturday to take on the number five Iowa Hawkeyes. Josh, the squad's number five. How does it feel? Uh, it feels oh, yeah. good. Do you feel yeah. vindicated a little bit? Um, I mean, I'm just keeping my head down, letting the team do what they do. It's all right. Um, you know, the, the, the math. Absolutely correct answer I've ever heard in my life. I mean, let, let's be honest. The math is there. If they win out, they're in the tournament. But I never would have guessed that this team would have gone 9-0. So, I mean, it's already better than expected. And, you know, I was talking to my dad earlier today. I said, hey, you know what? Let's say we punt the Minnesota game. Let's say we punt the Nebraska game, but beat Purdue. That's still a 10-win regular season. Iowa is an above-average program, and a 10-win regular season still doesn't come around very often. So I'm ecstatic with how we've performed. If we play the Rose Bowl, fine. If we play the New Year's Day Bowl, fine. If we make the tournament, fine. I just don't want – whatever happens, I just don't want it to be a loss – that is self-inflicted. I, I don't want a game where Beathard goes out and throws four interceptions. If we if we lose by getting outplayed, fine. But I yeah, that's where I'm at as a fan, I guess. I don't see Greg Davis allowing Beathard to throw four picks just with his game plan. I mean, yeah, they've opened it up for Beathard a little bit more than they did for Rudock, but it's still it's still it's, it's not exactly a, a big air it out down the field attack. No. No, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you just don't want to lose because of dumb self-inflicted stuff. Oh, listen, absolutely. I'm, I'm completely with you there. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the Hawkeyes' defense has only allowed three rushing touchdowns um, yeah. all season long. I mean, that's pretty impressive if you think about it. Um, and Mitch Widener can't throw the ball, so. Yeah, and that's good. So, uh, Minnesota holds the all-time series lead at 66-42-2. and two. Last year, routing Iowa 51 to 14. Um, I don't need to remind you, do I? I guess, Josh. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, uh, I, I can bring up when we closed out the dome 55 nothing with a win. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's been a weird. It's been a weird series. Uh, I yeah. think I think fans on both sides of the border would agree that neither program has really excelled at the exact same time. Uh, right. When, when I, when Iowa was good in the 20s, Minnesota was nothing. When the Gophers won national titles in the 30s and 40s, Iowa was terrible. With Avashevsky in the 60s, Minnesota's nowhere to be found. With Fry, Minnesota was down. It's just been really weird. Um, it, it, it's a strange series. It's, it's a great rivalry, but just overall, it's been a very strange, strange series. 
Well, here's three stat categories that jump out at me for the Hawkeyes. Uh, they lead their conference in takeaways with 20, interceptions with 13, and turnover margin at plus 11, which tells me that they do a great job of not only creating turnovers, but they do a great job of taking care of the football as well. I mean, they, you know, if they have 20 takeaways and they're plus 11, which means they've only turned the ball over nine times um, throughout this, the course of this season. And, and that's pretty good, especially if your defense is is, uh, is taking the ball away and, and, and creating opportunities. So that's a huge reason, in my, you know, in my eyes, that the Hawkeyes are even ranked number five and they're sitting at 10-0. So um, I, I think I was going to win, and I think surprisingly they're going to win big, uh, not because Minnesota's poorly coached, just because I think Iowa's going to see the blood in the water. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna force turnovers all day long. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna make a big play on special teams. That's what I'm anticipating. They're gonna block a punt for a touchdown, and then I think C.J. Beathard's gonna have a great day. I think he's gonna throw three touchdowns, and I think he's gonna run for one. So, oh, um, I, I, I like Iowa big. Big day for sunshine. Yeah, uh, just just to quick go off of what you're saying about Iowa's defense, uh, Desmond King has been as good as any cornerback I've seen this year. We all know how much I love Mackenzie Alexander, Vernon Hargreaves, but man, uh, Desmond King just has a has a nose for the ball. And I, I really, he, you know, he, he's a ball hawking corner, and he's a really, really nice kick, kick and punt returner as well. So he's been real important for that squad. And it's been, uh, you know, he, he's been. I don't know, I'll, Josh. I'll leave the last word to you. Did, did you expect him to be this good coming to the year? He's shown flashes. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that he's doing differently is sometimes he went for interceptions too much and would give up a play. I think now he's being a lot more sound. Uh, The interesting thing is his eight interceptions this year ties Lou King in the 81 season and Niall Kinnick, our Heisman Trophy winner in 1939. And I I can't find it going through game by game logs. It, It would take too long, but I'm curious what Kinnick's interception per pass attempt was People didn't throw it around that much in 1939. No, they definitely were not. They, they, you know, I mean, maybe Sammy Baugh was, but they weren't, yeah. playing, you know, they weren't playing them that much. But we got to move on. Um, yeah. to- well, I, I was just going to say, well, I was just going to say, I do think Iowa is going to win this game. And the reason why is Minnesota, the last three games, is playing with a lot of heart. But when you break down their stats – Mitch Leidner, you think he's improving because he's thrown for 301 yards, 317 yards, and 281 yards. He's getting a lot of yardage. He's also thrown three interceptions during this, and his quarterback rating is a little higher, but it's coming out of necessity because when you break down their running game against Ohio State, 33 yards, 1.3 average. Michigan, 30, uh, 144 yards but only a 4.1 average, which isn't that great. And then against Nebraska, 65 yards, a 2.5 average. Iowa's run defense is as good as those three teams, honestly better than Nebraska's and statistically better than Ohio State's. So it it gives me a little bit of confidence that we're going to shut down their run game, make them too one-dimensional, and we'll see what happens. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's uh, let's move to what might be the premier matchup of the weekend, and that is this uh, Boomer Sooner traveling to Waco. Uh, 
Uh, Coach, is is this the, um, you know, this is going to be one of the Big 12 uh, marquee matchups of the year. Do you think Jared Stidham is is ready for the Sooners? I think, well... I don't know. It, it's 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 tough to say. Uh, you know, the, the freshman comes in in such a very such a tough spot um, that you know, you, you got to wonder whether he's ready or not. Um, I guess he doesn't really have a choice, does he? Um, he's he's done quite well for uh, in place of injured Seth Russell. Um, so this will be his first real big test. They go on a big gauntlet run. They had they still have Oklahoma State left, and they still have TCU left, um, and then they got a big game here with. Uh, with Oklahoma this week. So uh, a very, a very good stretch run for Baylor is going to be telling whether or not they can survive. If they can survive, they definitely deserve a playoff spot. They definitely will win the conference. Um, but I, I do think Stidham, I, I do think he has a good chance to succeed. I, I think he will. Uh, I think he's just as efficient as Seth Russell. I think he does a lot of things just as good as Seth Russell. And I think he, if you watch him operate, you wouldn't know that he's a freshman. True freshman at that. I mean, you know, he threw for four, 419 yards and three touchdowns in his debut, rushed for another one. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he's – there's just – you can always tell if there's that it factor in a quarterback, and I think he's definitely got it. Well, having Corey Coleman on the uh, on his team really helps, doesn't it, Josh? Oh, for sure. I'll tell you what also helps is Art Bryles. I was looking at the head-to-head history because Baylor's been so bad for – the majority of their history, I was curious how bad the Sooners have killed them. Uh, Oklahoma leads at 21 to three. Baylor has won three of the last four. So uh, it shows you where these programs are kind of going trajectory wise. However, I, I kind of like this Sooner team. I kind of like the Sooners in this spot. Uh, true freshman quarterback, you know, uh, going, you know, they, they played Kansas State last week, but that's, you know, that that that's not the Sooners. Um, th- this Sooner team, you know, outside of that loss to Texas, has looked as good as anyone else in the country. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield is still lighting it up. Uh, Sterling Shepard, one of my favorite receivers in the country, so consistent. Um, and you know this. This Sooner squad, if they run the table, they still they can definitely still make it into uh, the college football playoff. Oh yeah, I mean you know they they still got a lot on the table as well, um, a lot at stake, and I think it's going to be a very tough and physical game. Probably the most probably the most physical game of Baylor's season, um, to be honest. And uh, you know I, I think Stidham will will I think he'll do well. I think he just continues to improve, and I, I think he's one of those guys that just truly gets it. And and I think it's you know one of those things. He's one of those. I think he's going to be one of those special quarterbacks that just kind of you see him, and and he he's going to be a leader for Baylor for the next four years. And uh, I think he's going to you know play on Sundays personally, and I, I really liked what he's doing. I really liked him in he's his debut. a lot after one start, Coach. Uh, you know, that's uh, – that, uh, that. I know. I'm, I'm talking him up a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I, I still think he's – I still think he's good, and I still think uh, well, he's uh, Where was he as a, as a rival's recruit last year? Do you remember? I don't remember. I mean, he, I you know – He was a four-star guy, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. I don't know his exact ranking, but uh, he, he was definitely a four-star kid. 
uh, very talented quarterback, and and he's a he, he's a big kid. He's definitely got he, he's definitely got a howitzer attached to that right shoulder. So he does he does. I like his arm strength a lot, uh, I, and I I like his poise in the pocket is really what you know really what draws me to him and what really makes me think that he's going to do some great things against Oklahoma. I think that you know for Oklahoma to uh, to disrupt him, they're just going to have to hit him over and over and over again. They're going to have to. Uh, treat him worse than a than a freshman. You know, I think they're going to have to, uh, like I said, just hit him, hit him, and hit him. And then when when in doubt, hit him. When he's going to the hot dog line, hit him. When he's trying to go take a take a pee at, at halftime, hit him. You know, put pressure on him in, in all aspects of the uh, of the game. And uh, you know, I think that's the only way you can can beat a guy like that and just kind of disrupt his timing. Their offense is predicated on timing. And, and short timing routes and, and things like that. So, if they can disrupt that stuff, uh, you know they'll have a good chance at, at, at coming away with victory. And I'm well, uh, yeah, I mean, think of that. Let's, I mean, let's, well, let's. I mean, the thing that's so scary though is, even though I like Oklahoma on paper, they got torched last year, forty-eight to fourteen. Petty carved them up. Shock Littlewood didn't even have a good game. It's like sometimes there's just a bad matchup scenario. I'm wondering if I Oklahoma. One of those. Yeah, it's like Oklahoma's defense. Oklahoma's defense might not even be built to stop this offense, and it doesn't matter who you have at quarterback. That's the scary thing if you're a Sooner fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's also the scary thing in a good way if you're a Baylor fan. It doesn't matter who you have at quarterback. Yeah. Um, it's almost it's almost turning into that. But Bryce Petty, Seth Russell. You know, they've had some pretty talented um, guys at that position, so I, it, it's it's kind of hard to say that. But uh, you know, who would guess that RG 3s legacy would kind of be pushed aside after some of these names have gone through? Yeah. I know it's, it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing. Well, let's move now to um, we've got you know two air raid teams, and let, let's move to the father of the modern air raid up in Pullman. The pirate takes his Wazoo squad down to my uh, neck of the woods when I'm not in New Jersey. That would be the Rose Bowl, um, where the UCLA Bruins will host uh, the Pirate and the Cougars of Washington State. Um, uh, Josh, oh, do you think that uh, the that Wazoo will be able to bounce back after a loss last week? Or last well, week, two weeks ago. I should say two weeks ago from Stanford. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they bounced back pretty well against Sparky. Um Look, here's the problem with UCLA. Is uh, is that their their entire team is injured? Well, not only that, but they just have kind of a two step forward, one step back to them. So, like, they killed Arizona and then flatline against Arizona State and Stanford. Then they kill Cal and try and lose the Colorado game. They're coming off of a blowout against Oregon State. But one of the common threads is this team just doesn't play well in the Rose Bowl. I think it's because they're only playing in front of, like, a half-capacity crowd. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This, this, this team is nationally ranked, but it doesn't – it's not an exciting team because they feel like with two conference losses, they're already out of it. Is, is, is that what's killing it, Matt? I, and, and you're out there, and you feel the pulse of, of Bruin Nation. Is it? Uh, is, is that what it is? Well, I, I, I'll tell you a couple things. One, 
you know, anyone who knows Los Angeles knows that the Rose Bowl is, uh, you know, not very close to the actual UCLA campus. It's, uh, it's about a 25-mile drive. It's probably only 10 miles as the crow flies, but you can't get, you can't get there directly. So on game day, it's going to take you 45 minutes to an hour to get out to Pasadena. Um, it's kind of like the University of Miami. And, on top, you know, and, you know, yes, they have buses that get you there. But, you know, most of the fans there are alumni in the area who are there to tailgate and hang out with their families and maybe go to the game a little bit. But it's really just to sort of – it's more of a social scene. You know, it's also – it's L.A. And as much as I hate to admit it, it will always be a Trojan town. Like, the, the Trojans will always be the number one team in that town because their stadium is right next to the campus. They have a bigger tradition of winning. And, you know, it's just – Rose Bowl is such a beautiful stadium. It's in such a great location. The Rose Bowl game itself is so gorgeous because of that. But you, you don't get the same atmosphere because it's not on campus. And uh, UCLA football is, you know, it's going to have a tough time, you know, really getting that home field advantage, um, you know, with, you know, with the Rose Bowl, you know, being so far away and not having an easy way to get the students there. And then the other thing is the start time. I mean, it's a 945 central time. So that's 745 kick. That's getting pretty late. Yeah. When, you know, when you know you're going to have that late a drive. I know in the Midwest, most of our primetime games are seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the standard standard just about anywhere, but uh, I guess TV contracts and things like that, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how they do it out West, Matt. I mean, I get it. That, that's a really late start. I've gone – I mean, most – I don't think I've ever gone to a game throw as well that started that late. Um, you know, I was, I was there for – I don't know. I went to two games last year. They were both night games. One started at like 6.30 and the other one started at 7. I don't ever remember them starting at 7.45. Well, I'll tell you one thing about this game, and I think there's a pretty good common opponent comparison, and that's Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State has an above-average passing attack, and Berkovici, 27 of 44, 273 yards and two scores, really helped lead that team to a victory in the Rose Bowl, his numbers ain't Luke Falk's numbers. So if there's any team you don't want to have issues with pass defense against, it's going to be a Mike Leach coach defense. I think Wazoo gets a monumental feather in the cap. Not only do they beat a ranked team, but a road game against a ranked team. I'm taking the upset. Give me give me the Pullman uh, crazy Palouse Pirate, how many P's can I fit in a sentence? Wazoo team. Um, I, do you think if, if they if 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 Wazoo wins out, do you think Leach can win Coach of the Year in the Pac-12? He if better. they win, if they win out, yeah, I don't. I don't think he even needs to win out. I think beating Oregon, beating Arizona on the road, if they win this UCLA game, that would be seven wins. They'll probably beat Colorado too. If they get eight wins and drop the Wazoo, the Washington game, the Apple Cup, I would still give it to them. Who's done a better job? David Shaw. Yeah, then then you get the whole. If, you get the whole, if, if, if they go if they go twelve and one and win the you know eleven and one the regular season, yeah. 
win the Pac-12 title game. It's really hard not to give it to them unless you have like a nine and three Wazoo team, like really. Or or Whittingham. The, the, it yeah. always comes. It always comes down to your philosophy. Is the coach of the year the person who exceeded expectations or lived up to expectations? I think it's the guy that exceeds expectation. I, I, I think. I think if Washington State goes to a bowl game, as putrid as they've been lately, as putrid as they've been. I mean, they're already at six wins, so they're, they're bowl bound for sure. Yeah, so as long as they win, if they win one, maybe even two more games at some point, Mike Leach is coach of the year. I mean, I think he might already be coach of the year um, just from taking such a pitiful team when he took over and for them to be bowl, bowl eligible is amazing, to be I honest. Mean, they, you know, they, they've got a pretty good shot at finishing second in the North. Who would have thought that coming into the season? Not I mean, me. I mean, <laughs> not anyone on this podcast, I can tell you that much. Well, uh, look, I, I bet if we played the tape, though, I bet we said that they that Washington State would be improved. Because I know we thought Oregon State would be terrible. Yeah, we all thought Oregon State would be terrible, and we all thought we were all we were questioning Washington with a true freshman quarterback. Yeah. But still. But, I mean, it, we're geniuses, so, you know, that's not fair to compare us to the rest of the country. This is I mean, we're, we're, we're podcast of the year, if that makes if that makes you feel any better. Oh, well, who's give, uh, if we get podcast of the year, we, better, we definitely better get that Werner sponsorship. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let, let, let's move down to the SEC uh, for our final deep root of the week, uh, where we're going to talk Alabama coming off that big win at home Alabama. against um, the Bayou Bengals. Um, they're going to head up to Stark Vegas, where they're going to take on the Fighting Prescotts of Mississippi State. Uh, Coach, is this a letdown game for the Tide? Absolutely not. I, I think that not only does Alabama somehow have Mississippi State's number. Doesn't matter how good Mississippi State is, they always find a way to just absolutely pound them. Um, I, I think that they're playing – I think they're starting to hit their stride, and that's the scary part um, is that, that you know, I, I said earlier in the year that this wasn't Saban's most talented team. That was arguably probably his worst since he took over uh, talent-wise. But for some reason, this team has found a way to come together. They found They found a mix. They found a way to gel – um, somehow Saban and, and Lane Kiffin have found a way to create perfect harmony in their in their game planning and play calling, and uh, they're they're doing it. They're they are ex- they're exceeding my expectations. They're, I think they exceeded everyone's expectations. Nobody thought they were uh, equipped to do what they're doing right now. But you know, they're Bama. That's what they do. Uh, they're de- uh, when I was talking to Josh uh, on Monday when we were doing the podcast uh, with the uh, two amigos, we uh, I, I talked about how great their defensive line played and 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 just what you know what they brought to the table, and it's amazing. I mean, it really is, and uh, it's it's just what what they do and what they bring to the table. It's 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 truly you know a thing of beauty. And, yeah, they're, uh, I mean, their 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 defensive front seven is as good as I can remember seeing in in college football um, since you know that was uh, Russell Barrel and Warren Sapp Miami teams. 
Yeah, I mean, they just flat get after you. I mean, they, they kept Brandon Harris on the run. They bottled up Leonard Fournette, which no one's done yet this year. Um, they're just really coming together as a team, and, and, and the, really the scariest part is they, haven't, they have not hit their stride yet because I don't think Jacob Coker has played, has played his best football. And I don't think he really needs to because Derrick Henry is really starting to – I don't want to say starting to, but he's uh, – you know, he's become their offense this year. I, and I, I think you know, the term that you use for Derrick Henry is grown-ass man. Yes. <laughs> he's a grown-ass man and a grown-ass man. Uh, Josh, um, I know uh, you're a big fan of Dak Prescott. Do you think that he can uh, – that he can, he can pull some magic in this game? Well, obviously he's going to have to. And the script for beating Alabama is you got to have the game of your life, and if it comes from your quarterback, even better. So I was looking at Alabama's last few losses since uh, their last national title against Notre Dame. Uh, so way back uh, in – 2013, the regular season. Obviously, they won the national title game in 2013, but that was the 12 season. So, 2013, they lost to Auburn, 34-28. Uh, um, is that kick six? It is, but uh, let's not forget Trey Mason had 164 rushing yards. That will be pretty hard for Dak Prescott to duplicate, but he's got a 117-yard performance. He's got some legs to him. Uh, then they lost the bowl game to uh, Oklahoma, where Trevor Knight had 348 yards, four touchdowns, which is incredible because Trevor Knight lost his job because he couldn't ever duplicate those numbers. Uh, then in the semifinal game last year against Ohio State, Cardell Jones, 243, uh, and Ezekiel Elliott, 230. Yeah, I'm not that's sure. The number right there is Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I'm not sure Ole Miss has that in them. But again, Dak Prescott, good mobile quarterback. Maybe he can generate, you know, that's 470 yards from two players. Dak Prescott can throw for 200 and run for 100. You know, that's, you can see a little bit. Uh, and then there, then there are two Ole Miss losses. Uh, Bo Wallace, 250 and three touchdowns, played clean, no interceptions. And then obviously Chad Kelly this year, 340, three touchdowns, no interceptions. So you kind of see a blueprint. You're going to need – to be balanced, something LSU couldn't do. Dak Prescott's running nature will help them find some balance because he's obviously a better quarterback than LSU brought to the table throwing the ball. Um, I think the number you have to look at for Dak Prescott is he's going to need to have probably 300 passing yards and needs to be in the neighborhood of 100 rushing yards. He needs to generate about 400 yards of offense single-handedly for them to have a chance. But I look, he doesn't have much around him. <laughs> That's the problem. Here's, the here's problem. also what Mississippi State needs to do um, if they want to win. Ole Miss kind of did it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ole Miss did this, uh, and then they were successful. Um, snap, snap the ball every 18 seconds. They need to if – they, if they can pick up the pace on Alabama and really just force them into to a – you know, a heavy tempo, a fast tempo, uh, I think they they can uh, have a chance to put Alabama on its heels. Alabama doesn't do well with hurry-up offenses. They, you know, Ole Miss hit them with it two years in a row, and uh, 
and hit him with big plays. Maybe Dak, Dak Prescott can find some some magic there with uh, being you know being a dual threat guy himself and, and being able to create night, uh, matchup nightmares and, and get you know as many blockers out in front of him as you possibly can. But uh, I just think that if, if they're going to do that, they've got to figure out you know exa- they're going to have to watch that Ole Miss Bama film and just really dive deep into what what actually hurts Bama and it's not trying to run it straight down their throat yeah. it's not trying to sit back there and pick them apart because you're never going to with that defensive line you're, you're not going to do either you want time to do it yeah yeah so you got to figure out ways to get the ball down the field uh, probably gonna have to be in small chunks and you're probably going to have to be very patient offensively and you're probably going to have to punt the ball quite a few times and quite a few more times than you're used to. But if you can hang on, if your defense can make just enough plays to hang on and stay in it, you might be able to catch Bama making a mistake. You might be able to catch Jer- uh, Jake Coker, Jacob Coker making a mistake, and, and, and you have to capitalize on it. And, yeah, that's, and that's the game. Plan. Yeah. And that's what they have to do. you got to create turnovers. I mean, that, yeah, that's you, the game. That's how old Miss five turnovers. Yeah, I mean, if you sit back and play conservative, you're going to get blown out. If you sit there and try to, I, you know, as as a coach, I'd probably in, in a game like that, I'd probably rather get blown out being overly aggressive than get blown out being overly conservative. And and that that's kind of how you got to treat it. You got to go out there trying to make big plays, trying to make things happen, um, and and then just you know let it all hang out. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed you're supposed to get blown out. So any, anything else is is going to be is going to be gravy. And Matt, you said, I mean, Matt, you kind of jokingly said, you know, he doesn't have any weapons around him. And I I know that, you know, I know he's not too well-known nationally, but Deronio Wilson is a wide receiver that I think most people would gladly have on their team. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't trying to say that he has, like, no one around him. But, I mean, if you look at the skill position players of a lot of the other SEC West teams, I mean – Receivers aren't – they're not like a – they're not like a stellar list of guys. They're not like a – you know, they don't have a bunch of Amari Coopers around there, but they just have a bunch of guys that that can get open and, you know, make plays in space and, and do what they need to do just to set up Derrick Henry's touchdown runs. <laughs> well, it's kind of their well, – just set up yeah. Derrick Henry. I mean, I'm not picking the upset, but with all respect to Derrick Henry – I think the best offensive player in this game is Dak Prescott. And when you're coming in with the best player in that matchup, you at least have to feel a little bit better about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and they, pro- they probably do. Uh, I, I would say they probably, you know, coming into it, and uh, coming into it, they have a they had a better shot at winning than, than, than their uh, in-state counterparts. Um, um, but- Coach, I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, just I was looking at Alabama's schedule before the, doing the show and seeing, you know, if for any reason why they might be looking past Mississippi State. I, I've, I always see SEC teams do this, and I don't get why. Why is Charleston State the second-to-last game of the year for Alabama? I don't know. I, I, you know, Georgia's playing Georgia Southern next week, but that's that's actually an FBS matchup now, so it's not quite as bad. But uh, I, I think it's just kind of that, uh, you know, they want to get sort of an extra, I don't want to call it bye week, but, you know, they just want to kind of get a, 
cupcake in there just so they can get guys rested up and yeah you know. it always seems like around week 12 week 13 that uh that all these um yeah well, yeah we right around week 12 is when all these you know sec teams get you know start playing you know just play a cupcake for some reason i've, I've never really yeah it's, it's the weekend before thanksgiving is sec cupcake weekend they all play they all play them everybody plays a cupcake that weekend just so they can get well uh and for the stretch run, I mean, it's I such a. I don't think that's very becoming of the conference, quite frankly. It's not. Uh, I mean, you don't like to see that that late in the season, but you know, it's just them trying to spread out their schedule and try to try to catch an extra bye week where you don't have to uh, work as hard, or where you can maybe they can look forward to Auburn. Uh, they can spend two weeks on Auburn, and they try to schedule a cupcake that that is similar to the style of play. I remember we try to schedule when. Uh, you know, we try to schedule Georgia Southern as much as we could uh, at Georgia the week before the Georgia Tech game so that we could get extra work on the triple option. Uh, <laughs> and you know, there, there's there's uh, there, there's some logic behind it, but I'd rather see, like, just get all your patsies out of the way. But, you know, they got their own network. They're making boatloads of money. So mm-hmm. I guess – there's people getting paid way more for their opinions than me that kind of that kind of get a feel of what the, what the rest of the country likes so it's hard for me to sit back and judge i wish they would play better conference games next week but i well, don't know they're not going to but <laughs> with that um let, let's get um uh, moving to our spread formations and uh we, we are now all at 500 or above i'm in last <laughs> I am excuse me. I am now in I'm still in last place at uh twenty five and twenty five on the year. Um uh Josh uh is at twenty eight and twenty two and by percentage uh, the coach is in the lead at twenty six and nineteen on the season. Right. So um well we're gonna talk about we'll, we'll stick in the SEC for our first game where Kentucky heads to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt and for somehow, I have absolutely no idea how. Vanderbilt is favored in an SEC game um, by three points. Now, the fact that Vanderbilt is favored in an SEC game is, in the post-James Franklin era, is ludicrous to me. But they are somehow. So, uh, Josh, we'll start with you. We'll keep it quick, guys, because we're already over an hour. Um, Josh, <laughs> Josh, who you got? Uh, well... Coach and I talked a lot about Vanderbilt last, you know, on Monday when we recapped the weekend. And, you know, I said with that defense, they're, they're tough out. And I've been breaking down Kentucky, and, man, Patrick Towles is having a nightmare of a season, nine touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Mm. He, can't, he can't hold on to the ball. And, and you look at Kentucky's record, uh, barely beat South Carolina, barely beat – Louise and Lafayette, overtime against Eastern Kentucky. Their most impressive win is eight points against Missouri. I know it's crazy that they're favored. It's going to be even crazier when I say Vanderbilt's going to cover. Ooh, Coach. Ooh. Uh, I, I like this Vanderbilt defense. I mean, they've given, they've given everybody fits. And I said this when, when I went to the game and they, they played Georgia. That front seven – for Vanderbilt's one of the, you know, they get after you. They're not they're they're like the no name bunch, um, but the no they name just defense fight. of the, the yeah 
Absolutely. They're the no-name defense, and they just flat – I mean, they just flat get after you. And, uh, you know, it's impressive to watch them. And, and I think Derek Mason, slowly but surely, has done a good job. So he took over defensive play calling, which he probably needed to do. Um, and he's, I think he's done a good job at, tr- at getting his defense playing at a high level. All right? Now it's the offense's turn to join the fray. All right, it sounds like you're taking the doors. I am taking the doors. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna win. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not convincingly. Maybe not by a ton of points, but they're uh, gonna win. Sounds like more than three. So they're, they're um, gonna win by more than three. Uh, and I think it's gonna be all in part by the by the defense. The defense is gonna force the offense into situations where they have no choice but to score a touchdown. Um, well, they're gonna bring the game to a halt. They're gonna. It's going to be a nightmare day for Patrick Tolles. Teams, teams somehow struggle, uh, or, or at least lately, they somehow struggle when they come to Nashville. I don't know if it's just because of the the lack of environment, the lack of atmosphere. Um, no, they're, lack- spending much, they're spending too much time out in the honky tonks the night before. <laughs> yeah, they must be something. Something. Well, something, um, I would be kicked out of my apartment if I chose anyone but Vandy in this game. So I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Go Doors. Um, yeah. You know, if Vanderbilt wins this, you know, if Vanderbilt wins this game, they also beat Missouri this year. Who'd have guessed two SEC wins for them? I know that's uh, you know that'd be that'd be that'd be really big. That'd be really big for them, um, considering they didn't even beat Middle Tennessee State. So. Um, <laughs> But they did beat Tennessee State. They shouldn't have, but they did. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I messed that one up. Well, not the first time. I messed something up on the podcast tonight, but I guess that's what I get for being out for the last one. Second game, um, the BYU Cougars are seven-point favorites on the road uh, playing a Missouri team that has gone through a lot of turmoil this week. Um, uh, Josh, do you think that you know everything that's gone on on the Missouri campus this week um, uh, with, you know, uh, the stepping down of President Tim Wolf, uh, the, the team saying that they would not practice or play until he did step down. Um, you know, do you think this is going to have a positive or negative effect on the team? I think it's going to have a negative impact. Um, I think it was cathartic for Missouri to, to get rid of the president. Um, whether you agree with what Concerned Student 1950 was talking about or not, the fact is that the president's completely – poor response to everything uh, just showed a complete lack of leadership. I think a bigger problem, honestly, is BYU's a good team, and I know they're unranked. They've kind of fallen a little bit under the radar ever since the Michigan game, but um, yeah, they're coming off a gritty road win at San Jose State, who's playing a lot better football. you got a 14-point win against Cincinnati. They're not a bad team. Missouri, on the other hand, they're not playing that vintage Missouri defense that got them to two straight SEC title games, and the offense has fallen apart. Freshman Drew Locke playing Big like six Georgia Tech. Yeah, you know he's playing like a he's playing like a freshman. Their running game three point five yard average that doesn't win you many games. I will gladly take BYU. I know it's a touchdown on the road, which is a lot, but give me the Cougars. Well, Josh. Uh, that was beautifully laid out. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with the uh, very intelligent phrase of, yeah, what he said. The the, 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 <laughs> the Cougs at minus seven. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna go against you guys in this one. I think that Mizzou's gonna you know rally around this, and this is gonna be 
if this was at Mizzou's campus, I would say Mizzou. I I take Mizzou no questions asked. This is a neutral site game. This is being played in Kansas City, so I'm a little bit more concerned that um, you know that that Mizzou isn't going to be able to carry the emotion with them, sort of on the road. But I'm still I I, I still think that they can. Um, I, I still think that this Mizzou team is going to rally around everything that's been happening. And it's, you know, yes, they have not, you know, been they, their offense has been genuinely terrible. But I think that they can do enough to keep it at least close. And so I'm going to say I'll, I'll take the point. I'll grab the point and go with Mizzou. So um, our next game is the always uh, the always interesting North Carolina Florida State matchup because North NC State for some reason always 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 seems to uh, choke uh, uh, seems to beat Florida State I should say uh, when Florida State needs it the most so Florida State's a ten point favorite at home this weekend uh, Coach I'm going to start with you this is your father's alma mater. Um, so let's, uh, who you got? I like Florida state. I, I think NC state, they're, they're a tough matchup. They're a tough out, but I just think Florida state coming off, a, coming off a loss, uh, to the hands of Clemson and in, in the fashion in which they lost, I think they're going to be mad. I think they're going to use it as a rallying point. I think they're going to be motivated to play their best football. And I think Dalvin cook is going to feast this weekend. So, uh, I like FSU minus 10, uh, and Sounds Dalvin like Dalvin Cook like 200 plus yards too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to go the the opposite way. Believe it or not, um, I think Florida State will still win, but I don't think it's going to be by 10 or more. I think NC State covers. Uh, the The Wolfpack played really well against Clemson. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is playing a lot better under center. He, as he's improving, NC State's been improving some of their performances. And I'm always curious if when teams have national title aspirations, when they end, I'm always curious how they respond to that. I think Florida State might be a little, a little flat. And I know Cook is really good, but just going back to that Clemson game, NC State's defense played pretty good. I mean, they, they gave – in terms of stopping the run, I mean, they gave up 240 yards, which sounds like a lot, but they needed 50 carries to get up to it. That's that's 4.8 a pop, which sounds like a lot, but when you look at, like, what championship-caliber teams do, it's usually in the five-plus range. So uh, I, th- I think the pack can hang around. Um, I, Yeah, I mean, I always roll with Dave Doran, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that, <laughs> um, even though for even though you know Florida State was one of my first loves as a child, um, I'm I'm gonna go with Dave Doran. He's my man. So next, um, uh, we've got the Wolverines of uh, of Jared Cook's alma mater, um, <laughs> thirteen point uh, thirteen point favorites on the road at the Hooters of Indiana, the team that is uh, made Iowa you know jump in the ranks so much this past week. Uh, so, Josh, uh, can your brother's alma mater win by two touchdowns in Bloomington? Not happening. It's not happening. Indiana gave Ohio State fits. They gave Michigan State fits. They gave Iowa fits. This team's offense keeps them in games. They don't play a lick of defense, but that offense is good enough to put up points. 
It'll be a battle. And honestly, you know, Indiana's been knocking on the doorstep all year outside of the Penn State game when everyone was hurt. But all year they've been so scrappy and stuff. I think this might be their week. We'll see. Ooh, sounds like a little upset. Don't call it an upset. <laughs> they meant they meant to win. Uh, that's my best or worst. LL Cool J. Um, I, I'm gonna agree to a certain degree with uh, with Josh. I think it's one of those classic trap games where Michigan may not be. Completely focused when they when they walk into Bloomington. Uh, I think they I think they might, uh, and I don't I don't necessarily think Jim Harbaugh is going to allow it to happen. But you know you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids. I don't think they're going to exactly be up for this game because it's not a stellar opponent. Um, Indiana already gives you fits, um, so there's that going against Michigan, um, and I think just. I don't know. I just have a feeling that Indiana is going to cover. They're going to lose by a touchdown, and Michigan's going to have to score it late to uh, to win. All right. Well, as is tradition here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast, you know what we're ending with. That's right. It's a Kansas spread. Uh, Kansas is uh, our 45-point underdogs this weekend in Cowtown, Fort Worth, uh, against the Horn Frogs of TCU, Josh, forty-five points is a lot. Can TCU do it? Are they going to take out their frustrations that they had from the big loss last week on the Jayhawks? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, and that's why we're going to be breaking down the Jayhawks right now. Uh, look, there's a really interesting article on ESPN about Kansas and how they're trying to rebuild it. And, you know, the coach talked a good game. I really liked it. I really liked it. And then at the end of the article, they lost to Texas 59-20. to 20. Uh, this, this team is just too young. They were decimated by player departures and stuff. They're, they're playing like they're a team on probation. That's how many scholarship players they have right now. Self, self-imposed probation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlie Weiss imposed by inept coaching probation, I think. Um, and then, and then when you look at the TCU Oklahoma State game, like I said on Monday, if you take away TCU's turnovers, this is a route by the Horn Frogs. They put up like a million yards on Okie State. They just couldn't get out of their own way. TCU rolls. I think TCU wins this game by sixty. Yeah, they're going to score no less than sixty points. They're probably this game you're going to see on the score ticker is going to be sixty-six to seven. Oh, right, coach, coach is putting up a score. Well, I guess I got to put up a score too. Then, um, boys, eighty-three to ten. Woo! Okay, eighty-three to ten. Trayvon Boykin is so mad that he threw four picks last week that he's going to throw six touchdowns this week. Yeah, that, that I could see that. Yeah. So, um, well, any parting shots for you guys? Yeah, we're going to break down the Charlotte-Texas-San Antonio game on Sunday. It's going to be really good. They are combined 3-15 and 15 on the year. Look out. UTSA, right. UTSA favorites on the road at one and a half points. Give me the whatever their mascot is. Roadrunner. Roadrunners, baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. 
Well, on that note, um, on behalf of the coach, on behalf of our blogger, Josh Cook, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.